listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. chapter 5. As I mentioned this past week, um, we were at this conference in, in Ontario and just some gifted speakers that spoke to us the truth of God's word. And one of the things that just came across crystal clear was the humility of these speakers, these men of God that God is using in a profound way to preach and to proclaim the truth of his word. And one of the things that early on, right out of, out of the gates, Pastor Robbie from Harvest Oakville reminded us that Jesus Christ is building his church. And we have that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and, and that the church of Jesus Christ is not shrinking around this world. It can't shrink because he said he's building his church. And so the church is building. It is growing. It is moving ahead. In some regions, in some areas, we may see it shrinking and it's falling away in particular here in North America, but we must be encouraged that Jesus Christ is building his church because it's impossible for something that he says is building, it's impossible for it to shrink or to fall apart. It can't happen. It won't happen. God is moving forward. But are we moving forward with him? We as a church, are we moving forward with God and with his plan? Or have we become comfortable and complacent? Have we compromised an area of our life and areas of, of, of God's truth? And in so many ways, we see that the church of Jesus Christ is struggling in North America. The places where it's exploding and where God is doing a work is where there's oppression, where there is difficulties, where there's persecution, where there's financial uh, struggles and difficulties. And, 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 it, and we've become so self-reliant and and we can plan and we can program church and we don't even need the Holy Spirit to do it. Which is so sad. But when there's a dependence upon God and even in the midst of hardships and trials, the church of Jesus Christ can forcefully advance. Yet the church of Jesus Christ, as I said, is, is growing. It is moving ahead and we want to be a part of that. And we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied and happy to say, okay, in North America, okay, the church is, 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 is going in, in reverse. It's declining. It's, no, we, we want to stop that. We want to be able in the power of Jesus Christ to move ahead and forcefully see the kingdom advance. That we would see boys and girls, young people, students, college students, young families, middle-aged families, older individuals, whoever it might be, we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and to have their lives rearranged by Jesus Christ in a way that not only changes their eternity, it changes their perspective and their hope and their help here on this earth. Amen? And so we're a part of and we have to realize that only real life is found in Jesus. Real peace, real satisfaction. Oh, the world can offer us a little bit at a time and, and thrills and, and, and spills and, 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 and all kinds of different things. And, 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 and we get so at times enamored with these things and in the pursuit of that. But in the end, it's empty. It's meaningless as the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. You can do everything under the sun here in Kelowna and yet it's meaningless without Jesus Christ at the center of our lives, at the, at the center of our church. But when we know Christ and are filled with the power of his Holy Spirit, we are his kingdom citizens and we are about living a different life. And we want to talk about today life in the kingdom and in the weeks ahead as we work through uh, this passage of scripture and through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is calling us, he's inviting us, he's commanding us to be part of building his kingdom. 
to see his kingdom advance. That's the reason why we're not raptured out of here the moment that we pray to receive Christ, the moment that we, in a sense, cross the line of faith when we have turned from our sins and we have turned to Jesus and and we come in humility and brokenness knowing that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's all on Jesus and we trust him as our Lord and Savior. The reason why we're not all of a sudden raptured out of here is because we've been given a mission to do. We've been given a mission to share Christ with others. And we're called to be part of building his kingdom. It's not about making a name for ourselves. Not making a name for our business. God can use ourselves. God can use our business. Our education. Our finances. And all of that to help further his kingdom. That we are being wherever God has placed us. That we are to be kingdom minded. And how does he do this? How do we see God do a work? He does it through you and me. God's first, second, and third plan for world evangelization is you and me. He has no plan B. And he uses us to be able to do that. God has called us to to be a part of his mission. And it gets hard. It gets difficult. Just look around our world. Week after week, watch the news, read the news. It's discouraging, the darkness and decay. Especially when you see week after week, it just seems that that sin is becoming more and more even protected by the laws of our land. How unbelievable that is. And yet we're living in this and and we live in this decay and, and, and the darkness all around us. This past week I was talking to a guy here in Kelowna at his coffee shop. And, and, and he, he has a great insight into the church culture, especially with young people in Canada today. He's one of the foremost knowledgeable, probably experts when it comes to youth ministry and young adult ministry in Canada. And, and he, we were having a brief conversation this past week about the religious and the social trends in Canada that we're seeing. And especially, you know, e- even in regards to our young people. But he said, Kelowna, the Okanagan region here in BC is dark. And you say, yeah, I already know that. But he goes on to say, and that oppression and the darkness is even within our churches. It's influence. We have compromised. We have We've been influenced by the culture rather than allowing God to do that work of influencing us and allowing his word to be what we stand upon. So how do we push back against the darkness? How do we push back against the decay that's all around us? How do we see this happen? How do we see hope and help and see the kingdom of God forcefully advance here in this city, this region around this world? We'll turn to Matthew 5 because Jesus tells us how it's going to happen, how it can happen, how it is happening And how we can join the work that he calls us to be a part of. Now today we're going to pick up the Sermon on the Mount. This was the greatest sermon ever preached. Because it was Jesus who preached it. He automatically. And I mean what he has said here. The wisdom and the teaching that he gives us. Is out of this world. Yes it's it's from Jesus Christ. And Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. Records the longest recorded. uh, Gives to us the longest recorded teaching of Jesus Christ. As He started his sermon at the beginning of chapter 5 on the Beatitudes. And we took eight weeks to work through that this past summer. All those messages are available on our website. And we looked at those eight character qualities that must mark, not perfectly, but progressively, a true follower of Jesus Christ. But now from chapter 5 verse 13 and in chapter in verse 12 is where the Beatitudes ended. And now in verse 13 we pick it up what Jesus has to say. And it goes all the way to the end of chapter 7 where Jesus tells us how we are to live as citizens of his kingdom. He's talking to us about what life in the kingdom looks like. 
how we are to live in relationship with one another and with those in our world around us. Now listen to this. This is really important. We'll, we'll mention again towards the end of the message. But as the Beatitudes, those first 12 verses, become our character in ever-increasing fashion, what we're going to read next will become our influence. Here's how we will make a difference as those character qualities grow and mature and become more prevalent in our lives. We'll see what ends up being the result of that. In verse 13, Jesus said, and you can follow along as I read, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so today I want to share with you, encourage you to write this down. I want to give you three ways that we can be an influence on our culture. Three ways that this week we can take and we start living and we can start applying this to our life this week to be an influence for God wherever it is that you will go this week. And how you and I can make a difference in seeing the darkness and the decay around us be eased. And the first thing, I encourage you to write this down. The way that we can be an influence on our culture by understanding the privilege we have. Jesus is talking about making a significant, life-changing, eternal difference in the lives of people. And he invites us into that. I don't know about you if you've ever been part of being a part of a big project or a big opportunity that is blessed and has been a blessing to the lives of many people. Maybe you planned an event or maybe it's something to do with your work or, or an a area where you volunteer and you just see this great event take place and everyone's happy and every, it just goes off so amazingly well and, and you feel good about it and you're just like, yeah, that was awesome, that was worth it. Folks, we are about the mission of God, about seeing eternities changed, to see individuals restored in their minds, in their hearts, in their lives, to see them break free from their past and from their addictions, to be able to see the power of God do a work of transforming a life as well as transforming a heart that allows them one day to see Jesus when they pass from this earth. They will see Jesus face to face. We are a part of that kind of an exciting mission and it pales in comparison to anything else we could ever be a part of. This is the mission that we are called to be a part of. What a privilege it is. And Jesus gives two metaphors in this passage to explain to the crowd. He uses salt and light. And these metaphors were not only just brilliant because Jesus spoke them and because as we read this and as we dig into this, we'll just see, of course, these are just brilliant analogies or metaphors that he uses here in his teaching. This, as soon as he started talking about salt and light and what he was talking about here, it would have clicked with the people just right away. Because you will remember as Jesus is giving the sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he's on the side, not really a mountain, but a hill, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. His disciples are there and there's crowds of other people there and they are seeing some of what he's talking about. They can picture it very easily because he, he was hitting it close to home in what he's talking about. You see, as people, as he was talking, there was no doubt fishermen out in the Sea of Galilee that were fishing. And they don't use a... You know, they weren't using fishing rods like how we do it. They would use nets and they would catch dozens upon, at times hundreds, especially if you had Jesus helping, you know, you'd be able to fill a boat in no time. You know, and, and so they're, they're fishing, they're catching the fish and they're putting them in the boat and, and to eat. I mean, it, isn't fresh fish awesome? 
especially when you're out camping and you get that old, dirty, you know, uh, frying pan that you just dug out of the backpack somewhere and you throw it on there, you throw some good oil or lard or butter or whatever you use and you put that fish in there and oh, it's so good and tastes so wonderful. It's, I mean, how glorious to eat fresh fish. And so that's what they would be able to do around the region of the Sea of Galilee. They'd be able to go to the fish market and get fresh fish just, just, just caught that morning. That just, you know, caught in, in the night. Oftentimes they would fish at night and they would come and there would be fresh fish being able to take home and have a good old fish fry. Well, if the fish was to be taken inland, they would have to do something. They didn't have refrigeration trucks. They didn't have donkeys pulling wagons that, you know, had ice packs in them and everything. And, and to truck it inland into Jerusalem, into other regions, they had to treat the fish. They had to do something with the fish. What do they have to do? How do they preserve the meat, uh, the meat of the fish? They would salt the fish. And so they would process it with, with, with the salt in that way. So right away when Jesus is talking here, they're already thinking the uses for salt. And, and, and there's many uses for salt that would have clicked, but here's a very natural one. Another thing is they're talking on the side of, of the, the hill there. Most of them could picture that when he's talking about a light shine. This kind of a view never gets old for me in Kelowna if we just go to that picture now. I just love pictures like that. I love to be able, when you're driving up in Knox Mountain or various or Black Mountain or even up behind our place in Kelowna Mountain on the far side and, and, and you go up at night and you just see the city, you see the lights twinkling. And so right away he, he's talking, these people would, oftentimes towns and villages would be set up on the side of the hill. The other night when I was flying into Kelowna, I, I was looking out the window and it was just amazing as we kind of broke through the cloud and being able to just see uh, hillsides lit up with streetlights. And, and even as we were getting closer, even the light in homes and windows, you could see life was going on there. And I love pictures like that. And so this is the metaphor. This is the picture that is getting into the minds of people as Jesus is giving it about salt and its usefulness and light, how it gives light in the darkness. And so it's clicking with the people in this way. And stunning views like this. And I just love the twinkling of the lights at night when you overlook a city now look at verse 13 and 14 though and you might want to even underline a certain word there in both 13 and 14. What does Jesus say? He says, you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What he's saying, it's in the emphatic tense. He, he's talking uh, emphatically here and, and, and the way that he's saying is you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone as my disciples, as my children. Again, we're the plan A and the only plan that he has to be able to push back the darkness, to, to deal with the decay that we're seeing around in our world. And he's saying, you and you alone. He, Jesus is saying, I have confidence in you. You may not have confidence in yourself and we should not have confidence in ourselves because, boy, once we start to do that, we become proud and arrogant and we think we can do it and we're going to fall flat on our face. But Jesus is saying, I have confidence in you. When my power is made great in you, when you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is still yet to come, for them but is available for us there's power there's strength there's victory and Jesus is saying and I'm giving you a universal task notice he didn't say you know you are the salt of Jerusalem or you are the salt of Galilee or you are the salt here in Kelowna you are the light in the Okanagan no he's saying of the earth and the world he's saying it's universal we just don't care about ourselves in our own region, our own city, our own nation. We are to care for the world and we are to be light, salt and light. It's a universal task. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. There's so many different uses for salt. 
Um, here's just a few, and you might want to write these down. You'll probably even come up with a few others on your own. And uh, first of all, salt, primarily in these days, especially for the people there, it was a preservative. Again, in, they had no refrigeration, so they would use salt. They would use a brine. They would use salt crystals. They would put meat in salt in order to, to preserve them. Salt was used then and still used today to, as a preservative to hinder corruption and decay and the rottenness of, of the meat or, or different foods that they would use. And now, I love how salt gets used today in a preserving kind of way. You know, pickles. There's salt in there. There's also vinegar and some other good chemicals that just make these, these pickles so amazing. You take them out and you just bite, bite into them and they're crunchy. And oh, Andersons were busy. And look at all. And, and um, canned carrots. Oh, so delightful. So good. And, and even like some other canned vegetables in there, like, well, cauliflower, I can maybe do without that. But, you know, uh, you know beans in there and, and, and pickles again. I mean, just so good. And, and, um, and then this has got to be the best. But man, my wife sure doesn't like it. Friend made for me. Yeah, some pickled preserved eggs. And I pace myself, okay? One a day right before uh, dinner in the evening. Just, you know, keeps the doctor away, I'm sure. You know, and I can't wait to get into this pickle juice once it's done. I mean, or this egg juice, like so good. And Charlotte will come walking, I'm like, what is that smell? And I'm like, it's me, dear. Enjoy. Do you want one? And she, no, I won't, you know. And, and, and so, you know, salt has so many different uses as a preservative. And, you know, I mean, beef jerky, I mean, who doesn't like that? I mean, I mean well, sorry if you're vegetarian. I guess you wouldn't like it. But, you know, like if you do like meat and you like, you know, that sort of, it's wonderful. It preserves. It, it works so, so awesome. Another use for, for salt is it's a disinfectant. Uh, it hinders the spread of decay by driving out germs and, and making it hard then as it, as it creates kind of a coating, a layer so that germs can't penetrate. It, 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 it halts decay. I mean, what does the dentist tell us to do when we've got a sore in the mouth or, or your mom tells you to do when you have a sore in your mouth? Take some, some salt water and rinse your mouth in it. It's, it's a disinfectant. There's healing um, aspects with it and, and it helps to bring healing to a soreness in your mouth or whatever it is that you might have. And so it's a disinfectant. Salt adds flavor. Salt takes something that is bland and it makes it so taste so tasty. Now, I do, I do kind of laugh a little bit when there are some people, and sorry if it's you, I'm not particularly picking on you, but you know, as soon as a person, sometimes you see this, people, as soon as they get their plate filled up or the uh, waiter, waitress bring, brings their, their plate out, and the first thing they start doing is just salt and everything, you know, and it's just like, oh my goodness, like, you know, your sodium rates might be a little bit high in your body, you better take it easy, but you know, I mean, bland food is bland food. Put a little salt on it and it just brings out the flavor, wouldn't you? agree salt is amazing for that you know um, now some people this is weird some people put salt on watermelon confess to that any confessions okay yeah we have one honest person I know there's another but um, he's not willing to put up his hand right now so you know um, but but anyways I mean some people I, I tried it this summer did not like it but it did not add the flavor I was looking for in watermelon and um, salt also creates a thirst you know, why do they put so much salt in the popcorn that you order when you normally come into here for other than non-church reasons? You know, when you order your popcorn, there's so much salt in there. Why? So that you spend lots of money in buying the drinks that they have here, you know, at, at the theater. And so it makes you thirsty. It makes you want to drink more. I, I love the statement that I heard years ago, and it's so true. Um, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Horses, stubborn. Most animals and people are. 
But I love what a farmer said. He said, yeah, but you can give them salted oats. You know, salt their oats a little bit and they'll start drinking. They'll, you know, they, it creates a thirst. And so salt creates a thirst. Another thing for salt that it does is it, 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 it is also used in, in a glorious way. I'll just leave uh, some of these good reminders for us up here. You know, it, as ice melter, it is something that they wouldn't have needed back then in, in, in Jesus' day. But we need today to melt ice in, you know, in the winter to be able to deal with sidewalks and, and, and on our streets and different things like that. And, and so we see all of these different uses for salt. And, and there's many more uses that I'm sure that, that I'm skipping over, that I'm missing out on, but um, you can compile those on your own. And yet the thing is about salt, that salt is no good when it's left in the salt shaker. Salt is no good when it's just piled up. It's just piled up. It's got to get out. It's got to be applied to something in order for it to have any sense of usefulness and, and to be used in the way that it was meant for it to be used. This is all just ready to go, probably to go on the highways during winter or whatever it might be. And, and you know, this has been sitting in my garage. It's pretty dusty. I haven't had to use it, thankfully, for the last few years. And so it's been sitting in the garage, but it's filled up. It's ready to go, but it's pretty useless. It's not going to do anything. And this same stuff here is useless. It won't have any effect until it actually gets out of the salt shaker. I think someone wrote a book a few years ago on evangelism, and it was called Getting Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And I thought, hey, that's a good, good title. We need to get out. We need to be around. We got to get out of the containers. We got to get out of the salt shaker. Jesus said, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. We are to be spread out wherever we are in order to be useful. We are to be an influence in the world right where the Lord has placed you. And the Lord has placed each one of you, each one of us, in different unique ways. And we all have different and unique opportunities to be salt in this world. You say, well, what does it mean to be salt? Well, the world manifests, if you would agree with me, I think you would, I mean, agree rather easily. In our world, we see a constant tendency towards deterioration, right, and decay, I mean, the world was created perfectly at creation by our God. Sin entered the world, and what happened? The decay set in into the world so quickly. We see that in Genesis 3. And the world became rotten very, very quickly. And God removed almost the entire population in the flood to start over in order to give another chance. But immediately what ended up happening, the human race just continued to fall towards sin and decay and corruption. And this world morally and spiritually, is like fresh meat. Left to itself, it will do what it's supposed to do. Go rotten and decay. And it, be, and it becomes more and more rotten unless something is done with it. And as we can see, things are getting slowly worse and worse in our world. But the presence of believers, of Christ followers, people who say that they follow Jesus... In business, in restaurants, in our jobs, in stores, in our neighborhoods, in politics, in committees, whatever it is, wherever that we go, we are to be different. We are to elevate the level of living. We are to bring a preserving factor into the decay in our world. Our presence in the world is to retard the decomposition of society around us and have a preserving effect. What would happen if just all of a sudden all the Christians were just raptured out of this world? You would see corruption and decay taking place in even a greater way than we would ever see it. 
We are to be adding flavor and richness to our world. Our lives as we are around people who don't know Christ, our lives in the business, in the workplace, we are to be creating a thirst for others to see Christ. Jesus, or or just as salt has an effect on ice, it doesn't have an immediate effect, does it? I don't know if you've ever put salt down on the roads or whatever. It takes a little bit. It takes some time for that salt to work on the ice. And in the same way, the same effect that we can have in, in, in pres- have a preserving effect, building, adding flavor to this world, creating a thirst, but also an effect over time can melt a hard heart. It's not us doing it. It's the power of the gospel, but we need to be around them to, in order to do it. And just as salt has that effect on ice, the effect of our lives around people in this world through our words, wherever we are, can melt through the power of Jesus Christ, this most stubborn of hearts. First Peter 2.12, Peter wrote, he says, live such good lives among the Gentiles. One version says, amongst the pagans, amongst unbelievers, so that they will see your good deeds. They will see the salt of your life. And they will glorify God. That they will end up saying, tell me about your God. And it's because we're telling them about the gospel. We are to be rubbed into and soaked into and applied to the world in which we are placed, in which we live. We're not about living about our mission. We're living about his mission and this is how we do it. But Jesus also went on to say this great privilege we have. You are the light of the world. You and you alone are the light of the world. Spiritual darkness dominates the whole world system. Agreed? Let's face it. Our world is dark. Watch the news all around us this past week. Again, just saddened and sickened with the Bill Cosby courtroom trial and and now his sentencing and he's going to jail. He was considered America's dad and all the while committing some of the most heinous and sickest and saddest forms of violations against women. Part of his defense, Charlotte was telling me about this yesterday, is to label his desire to do what he did as a psychological disorder. He couldn't help himself. How we justify and we explain sin. Just like yesterday, a number, number of us men were together and I heard we were talking about how pedophilia is now being considered a minor attraction disorder. An attraction for minors. It's just a disorder. How we explain sin Watching the judiciary hearings that were seen in the USA this past week, Kavanaugh and Ford and hearing divided people and hear all this, someone's lying. We don't know. There's so much darkness. It's kind of ironic that the movies playing here today in this room and in the other theaters, first of all, one of them is called, and we cover these over the best that we can so you don't have to see it. Some of the posters are evil looking. One is called Hellfest, where a 10-year-old accidentally discovers witches and warlocks. I believe it's in an amusement park or something like that. Another one is called The Nun, the story about a possessed nun. I mean, that's going to be playing on the big screen after we've had all this God-exalting. Don't you see the darkness that's in our world? But Jesus said... In John 8, 12, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And as salt, we are to penetrate every corner of our society, every corner of this city, this region, this country, wherever Christians are, people who love Jesus. We are to be a light, not of ourselves, not to blow our horn and to toot, you know, our business first and foremost, primarily. It's about Jesus, to be an extension of who he is. I'm going to ask my friends to help me with what I've asked them to do here this morning. Go ahead. Gets pretty dark in a place like this, doesn't it? Still a few lights that weren't able to be fully dealt with. And, and yet it's amazing how things can change when there's just even one light that we are able to see. However, if I put this light down, its effect is a lot less. And if I move away from the light, this room gets darker. But as soon as I take this light and I hold it in my hand... And even something that even happens that's even more amazing, that when I elevate this light, it gives more light to the room. This is the kind of effect that we have. This is our world. It's dark. And yet right here in this little corner, God has placed the light of Jesus Christ through who? Through me. Through you. Now take out your cell phones, please. Take out your cell phones, and I trust that you know how to Turn on the flashlight. Let's go for the flashlight version. And just take that and just hold it up high. Look at how a room starts to change. Some of you are still figuring out, how do I do this again, dear? You can just like have the, 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 the home screen on if you don't know how to do that, you know. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the light penetrates the darkness. It's pushing it back. And that's what we're called to do. And we're not shining our light. We're shining the light of Jesus. Amen? He is the light of the world. God made us visible. And now, hold them up one more time. Put them up high. So, a city and a hill cannot be hidden. When we're shining our lights, we're not hiding it. It gives light for people to see. And who do they see? We can slowly get the lights turned back on, please. They're going to see Jesus. Like a city on a hill. Now let's face it, just because we come walking in the room, we desire to be salt through our testimony. We desire to lift high the name of Jesus and to lift up Jesus, the light of the world. When we come walking into a room, into the workplace, when you go into the workplace tomorrow, when you go into your neighborhood tomorrow, go into the coffee shops, people aren't going to turn to you and say, Ooh, tell me about Jesus. You know, or they're not going to automatically start cussing, stop cussing. In fact, at times when they find out when you're a believer, they may even start cussing even more and making even life more interesting and miserable. But with the Holy Spirit filling us, as we rub up against those in, in our world in a good way, in a preserving, adding flavor, creating thirst kind of way, we bring the light of Jesus. We make a difference. And God has placed each one of us in specific areas. You take and you shine your lights tomorrow. If we could all of a sudden get a visual, we're all lit up. We're all lit up here today. But if we were to take wherever we are from and whatever we are doing, we're all over the place. And we can make a difference. And all of God's people can do this if we live out the calling that we've been called to live. Our present, right? You may not even like your job. You may not even like your neighborhood. You may not even like maybe even your family at times. 
They don't know Christ. And we are to be the light of the gospel and to share the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Here's something else. You see, light oftentimes is also a biblical symbol for truth and for righteousness. A Christian's shining their light must surely include their spoken testimony. It's not just go and be a nice little influence, just be there and not cuss and, you know, try to, you know, live nice and that. No, it means using words. Finding those opportunities to share your testimony, what Christ has done in your life. Finding opportunities to be able to, to, to talk about how you've walked through trials and difficulties and storms and yet you have found Jesus to be greater than and to find power and strength in him. With love in our hearts and the gospel on our lips, lips we exalt Jesus Christ. Here, here's the second thing we want to get into. So first of all, we can be an influence in our culture by understanding the privilege that we have of being salt and light. But second of all, by realizing the, that failure is possible. Look what Jesus said in, in verse 13, last part of verse 13 and then into verse 15. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then verse 15, Jesus says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. We must understand that being salt and light isn't automatic. Sadly, salt can lose its saltiness. Jesus tells us here. Lamps can get covered over. And Jesus says that salt can become useless in what it is, me in what it is meant to be able to do and to be. And, and the end result of useless salt is that it just gets thrown out on the road, out on a path, just to be trampled on by the feet of people. Now, I'm not a scientist, my family would agree to that, but one thing I did read this past week, that sodium chloride, which is the, uh, what salt is made out of, is a very stable chemical. It's a very stable chemical compound, which is resistant to virtually every kind of attack. It can't be broken down. It won't naturally break down, but here's what will happen to salt. It can be diluted. It can be watered down. It can be contaminated with dirt or sand or other particles making it useless. And the point that Jesus is making is that dangerously and very sadly, we can lose our influence. And when we lose our influence and we even want to talk about Jesus, it has no credibility because we've lost our influence with people, because we're compromised, because we're diluting the truth of, of who God is. And here are some ways, I don't think these will be on the screen, but you might want to write these down. Here are some ways that we can lose our influence. Number one, to become like the world. We become so much like the world. Deliberate disobedience to what God's word has to say. We willfully compromise and accommodate and pursue sin. We make allowances and excuses for it in our life. We think it's not that big of a deal. We justify it. I'm not talking about the struggle that all of us face with sin. Because as long as we live until the day Christ comes. We are going to struggle in the process of sanctification. But we trust that we're struggling forward. We're struggling further ahead. We're going to wrestle. We're going to fight with sin. But in the same way, we are also going to mourn and repent over our sin. But when it's willful disobedience and compromise to, to God and to his word and we justify it, we've diminished, we've watered down our saltiness. We have no effect. And we must ask ourselves, is there a difference between me and others in the world when I'm in a restaurant when I'm in a store and the clerk messes up, it's like, do we show the love of Christ? I struggle in so many ways. 
But as we repent of those sins and as we desire, oh God, help me, help me, help me. Is my pursuit of materialism and pleasure or power or entertainment just like that of the world? Or am I different? Am I desiring to live a life of holiness, pursuing righteousness? My ethics, are they different than others? I read one statement this past week in my study. They said, you've never been ripped off until you've been ripped off by a Christian. Isn't that sad? But true? Is there a difference in my compassion for people? Are we salt penetrating the meat or is the meat penetrating us? Is the decay penetrating us in our lives? What is it that we're doing in that way? Another way that we lose our influence, another way is when we soften the word of God. We heard about this last week. When we lower the standard of what God's word says, and we say, did God really say that? I mean, wasn't that cultural? I mean, it was okay to believe that back then. It was okay for them. But today, we're so educated and we're so much smarter, especially in the last few decades. And we question God's word, just like Adam and Eve. Did God really say not to eat of that fruit? Did God really say? We're still doing it today. We try to soften the standard, looking for the loopholes, turning to teachers, and you can find them. You can find a teacher that will allow your itching ear to be tickled and to be felt good over. You can find any teacher that will give you basically anything you want to say. You know, I don't like hell. I don't like the thought of hell, and so I don't think a God of love would send people to hell, and so I'm going to disbelieve the Bible, and I'm going to believe what this teacher has to say who doesn't believe in hell. I don't, I don't like hell either. I don't like that concept. But it's truth. It's in God's word. We don't mess with that. John Stott said, probably the greatest tragedy of the church through its long and checkered history has been the constant tendency for the church to conform to the prevailing culture instead of developing a Christian counterculture. We soften the word of God. Another one, third one is we quit when it gets tough. We lose heart because of opposition and struggle. Folks, I must remind you, the Christian life is a struggle. It's hard. The enemy wants us discouraged, defeated, divided, dead, and destroyed. That is his plan. And we can find ourselves so discouraged at times that it's like we're almost in the fetal position, wanting to suck our thumb and just quit. And say, I'm here, I'm out of here, I'm done. I've been there numerous times. Or what we do when the struggles are on and the pressure that we're facing, we want to quit, we're discouraged, we're divided, we're just feeling so destroyed in different ways, we, we turn to sinful vices or, or, or distractions to, just to ease, whether that be an addiction or whether that be a substance that we turn to in order just to take the pressure off instead of turning to the Lord, turning to his word, turning to brothers and sisters who can walk with us and pray for us and with us. We are in warfare Heard this statement this past week. You know that you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. So true, but it's so difficult at times. Our faith will be attacked. Our doctrinal convictions will be attacked. Our devotion to Christ will be attacked. Our fellowship with other Christians will be attacked. Our commitment to serve will be attacked. Warren Worsby, an old pastor, said once, he said, Christianity is a battleground, not a playground. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it will be tough. And we desire to love God and to faithfully serve him. 
do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and yet it can seem that we're facing more struggles in the midst of that than it was before I got serious about God or before I became a Christian. But here's the reality, here's the truth. It's in God's word that following Jesus will not exempt you from the struggles and the trials. It will even at times accelerate them. It preaches well to hear, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. It's just false teaching. It's not true. Jesus didn't even say that. There'll be temptation to compromise, to quit, have a diluted witness, do what the world does, even do at times the shady things that other believers are doing. Say, well, if they're doing it, it must be okay. But again, reminded some golden nuggets this past week. You're going to hear them for a long time to come because there were some great nuggets. H.B. Charles reminded us that there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that the Lord Jesus is strong. Amen? The Lord Jesus is strong. The bad news, we are not strong. We are weak, we are sinful, we are fearful, we are finite, finite. And no matter how old you are, whether you're 89 years old, 9 years old, or 19 years old, you're going to face struggles. I forgot to announce that baby Jay Tonga was born today. Do you have, can you get that picture, Liam, up there quickly? Take a look at this. He was born earlier this morning. Look at that little guy. Look at that hair. Shepherd Ebenezer is his name. That's quite a handle for a little guy, isn't it? Praise the Lord for that. New birth, new life. But the fact is, cute little shepherd, Ebenezer, even though he's going to have parents that are going to love him and teach him about Jesus and lead him in, in, in the truths of the gospel, he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle till the day he dies. You and I are going to struggle. We're in the battle. We're facing this. I think you can take it off. Everyone's staring at that and not listening to the truth here anymore, all right? <laughs> But here's the good news that in the struggle, Jesus promised, he said, he says, in this world, you will have troubles. But he says, take heart, I've overcome. We can stand strong in his power and strength in the midst of the struggle. He says, I've overcome. Second Corinthians 12, verse nine, the apostle Paul, he penned these words as he was walking through heartache and difficulty and just wondering what is going on and, and, and he hears these words from, from the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect when we are weak, when we're surrendering and say, I can't. And he says, now I got you where I want you. Now let me fill you and empower you and use you and fill you with your peace and your presence. Third way that we can make a difference in our culture is realizing the influence that we can have. Look at in verse 16, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. The result of our influence as salt and light is that people will have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Some will reject, but some will also accept. People will get saved, eternities redirected, the decay and the darkness in our world gets pushed back. And ultimately, we are not glorified. We decrease and he increases and God is glorified. People will glorify not us, not our church, not our movement of, of, of churches. He will, people will glorify God. There's no greater mission that we have been called to or that you could ever be a part of here on this earth. You, you can argue with me till you're blue in the face, but there isn't. there's no greater mission than the mission that God has for his children in this and God intends for us to penetrate this world 
shining, not our light, but shining the light of the gospel, shining the light of Jesus Christ. And you say, how do I do this? How do I do this though? Like, do I have to learn all the verses and learn, you know, evangelism methods? Yes, those are great things. It's good to be able to share with people the salvation uh, story and, and share your testimony. But it's also as we live our lives, those 12 verses just prior to this, just lay it out. Our character. And as the Beatitudes become our character, salt and light will be our influence. As we are salt and light and we grow in our saltiness and our strength of the salt and the work that, the ability that we have to do that work and, and in shining our light when we come to Jesus initially and daily as poor in spirit, recognizing I can't earn or deserve his favor. It's all his grace. And because we've received his grace, we want to share his grace. We mourn over our sins. We see this payment uh, that has been made for our sins. We see the cost of our sin. And so we mourn over it, not excuse it or justify it. We want to run from it. We pursue a life of meekness and humility and gentleness towards others because God has been so gentle and loving towards us. And it just, it just blows us away. And so we want to extend that to others. And we want to live a life pursuing that. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness, desiring and pursuing holiness to follow God's word. As he speaks to us by his spirit and through his word, we obey his word and we pursue and hunger for his righteousness. We grow in our mercy towards others because we understand how merciful God is towards us. We seek to live, it, live at peace. Instead of a situation, instead of bringing a can of gasoline, we desire to bring some water to put out the, the flames, to put out the mess that has sparked and, and is causing so much trouble. We want to be peacemakers, not people who create wars in relationships? Are we willing, finally, to count the cost? Jesus said we will be persecuted. Are you ready to be ridiculed and slandered and even face possibly physical or financial persecution and suffering to follow Jesus? Not just following him when it's easy, but it's following him every day, even when it's hard. Oh, would we embrace the opportunity to follow him, to be salt and light, to be a part of his mission, to be an influence for the gospel to be an influence for eternity in the lives of people. When I was in Ontario, I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, he told me about the salt crisis that's hitting Eastern Canada. I don't know if any of you have heard this as well as the Eastern United States. There was a 12 week strike this summer at a salt mine in Ontario. And then there was a flood in a salt mine, I believe it was in the Detroit area that just ruined all of the supply of salt for this winter out of these two major areas. And so the city of Toronto and the major cities have their salt, but it's the smaller landscaping companies, which this guy works for, uh, have a shortage of salt to, to salt the sidewalk. And in Ontario, if you've ever been in there in the winter, they love their salt. I mean, it's salt, 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 salt. I mean, here we're a little more uh, loving of trees and, and the environment than I think they are. Um, and, and so, salt, salt, salt. So, everyone's scrambling to get salt. So, this friend of mine was able to find out where they, as a company, could get salt, but he could find out where he could get a little bit more salt. And uh, there's three primary places where people in the United States, Eastern States, and Eastern Canada are finding their salt. In Saskatchewan. Good old Saskatchewan from potash, kind of the leftovers from there, but it's kind of powdery. It's not very good, as well as from Chile, as well as from Egypt. So he has ordered a barge of 21,000 metric tons of salt to 
help them, and he's selling salt left and right. He is worth his salt for that company, I tell you, and what he's doing, and it's pretty cool to hear that. And, and so they are trying to avert and deal with the salt crisis. Now, when we look at our world, when we look at the church, when we look at society, we might think there's a salt crisis here in Canada. No, there isn't. We are the salt of the earth. If we did the job this week and in the days ahead, look at the empty seats here. If these seats would be filled up on Next Sunday, as we are sharing the gospel with people, as they are wanting to find out about Jesus and to join a community of faith of other believers who are stumbling and struggling in our sanctification daily, more and more, we would see a difference in the decay. There's not a salt shortage. We need to be resalted. We need to get rid of the impurities in our lives. We need to confess our sin, we need to run to Jesus and ask him to resalt us and to strengthen us. Let's bow our heads. And so Lord Jesus, even now, we want to take a few moments to talk to you. Would you meet us here this morning? Just don't want to be informed, we want to be transformed. And that can only happen as we now do business with you. Just in the quietness of your heart, even right now, just encourage you to take a few moments to pray and thank God for the light of the gospel, for sending his son to this earth. Thank him that Jesus Christ has come as the light of the world. Thank him for the salvation that is available. Spend time thanking him for those who have been salt and light in your life. And now even in examining your own heart, even right now, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, or maybe you already know full well, areas in your life that you've been compromised. Even compromising in your witness, the, your saltiness has been diluted greatly. Confess those areas to God. Desire to repent and to turn, to live differently, to act differently under the control of the Holy Spirit. Praying daily for God's help to be able to live this life. You can't do it on your own self-control. But when the Holy Spirit is in us, he gives us self-control. And then I also wonder, to whom specifically is the Lord placed in your life that you can rub up against this next week and get more strategic and not just try to be a nice little diluted influence for Christ, but to be resalted and live on purpose and to pray even in the morning, God, help me to share the gospel with this person today. Pray to be a bold witness, lifting high the light and the truth of Jesus. God, I pray that these words we've heard and even the prayers that we've been contemplating and praying even now would end up seeing great glory to you by people who even right this second are lost and are going to hell. But because of our hearts here today and the change in our living and in, in what we are desiring to do, God, we would get serious about the mission that you've called us to be a part of. 
It's, about, it's not about just filling up a church on a Sunday morning. It's about transform lives, people being influenced, impacted by the truth of Jesus Christ and into a, into a life of joy and purpose and meaning and into an eternity that can't even be fathomed. Oh, would we be a part of your mission this week, we pray. And would this song be a declaration of our hearts. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord.